Well, how are you guys doing? How's, how's uh, the conference going so far? Good? I mean, there's probably somewhere else we could be tonight. There's probably something else we could be doing. But I know for me, to be here with you, singing about our victorious Lord and Savior, He is alive, that just makes me feel alive. In, in a way that other stuff that, that I could be doing, it just, just doesn't do the same thing. <clears throat> coming together, coming, coming apart together as a group to be about our Father's business, there's just something special about that. I, I know that for me growing up as a kid, the best week of the year was church camp. Every, every year, that's what I looked forward to more than anything else. Retreats, you know, you know what else? Uh, missions trips. I was leading a missions trip. Our first, our, I don't even think we were a church yet, Sam. I think we were still just a group of people gathering here, seeing what was going to happen. We led a, a trip. James, you were on that. And, and Deb, we went to El Salvador with, with Jim Mel back there. And, uh, you know, Jim has a way of making sure you're uncomfortable the whole time. You know, so... So we went there, and, and uh, but boy, God worked, and, and we, you know, we saved our money, and we took our vacation time, and we got on the plane, and we went there, and we used translators, because we don't know, you know, and we're just at the mercy of our translators, and Jim just sent people off to, to just go evangelize, you know. He'd open a door in a school, and he'd just push you in there and shut the door, and just, you know, like, oh, okay, Hi. And, uh, man, God really used that trip. One of the guys who was with us on that trip, we'll call him Roger. It's not his name, but, you know, we're getting ready to get back on, on the plane. We're driving back to the airport, and Roger, he says, Chris, he said, I'm not going back. This, being here, doing this, this is what I was born for. I am, I am not going back to Kansas City. I said, well, okay, he's a full-grown man. I probably can't get him on the plane if he doesn't really want to go. <clears throat> but here's what I told him. I said, look, I get it. Me too. I love this. This is, this is it. I agree. I don't want to go back either. But listen, it's not actually getting on a plane and going to a foreign country. It's, it's actually just... You know what you did? You, you saved your money, and then instead of spending it on video games, you actually bought a plane ticket to go somewhere and, and take Christ to, to some people, and actually you, you did this with your brothers and sisters who were also focused on the mission, and we just went and did what God told us to do for a week, and you feel more alive right now than you've ever... Okay, listen, don't go back to the way it was before. But it's not about being here or being there. It's about separating yourself unto the things that God has called you to. And so, so I, got, I did get to come back on the plane and that was late Saturday night. We got, we got home and Sunday morning I show up and, and here's Roger and he's sitting on the steps right out here. He couldn't get in, it was too early. You know, No one with the key had shown up yet. And I said, what are you doing here? Why are you here so early? Especially when we got... In so late, and here's what he said, listen to this. He said, well, what if, 
what if someone's walking by on the sidewalk and there's nobody here to take Christ to them or, or to invite them in and, and bring them to Christ? What if there's a lost person walking by? I have to show up early. I have to. This is what... I was born for this is and listen there was the same joy and there was the same energy and there was the same spirit as when he was on the mission field as when he came home you know I I I wish I could tell you that he kept that zeal that that he kept that power that he kept that focus but he didn't he lost it over time and 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 that zeal ended and, and that was too bad Okay, and, and, and you know, we'll, we'll talk about maybe why that sort of thing happens throughout this message, but, but I guess this is the, the first point, is, is our best times are our most separated times. Because you know on that retreat, you know at camp, you know on that trip, it's not because the mattress. Amen? You know you go to camp and it's not the best week of your year because of the food. Amen, right? You know that. It's not because you're safe, because you're not on a missions trip, and you know it. And it's not because you're comfortable, and it's not, it's certainly not that jet ride you take to India, right? It's that, that's not a good time. Neither is the jet lag, is it? Nothing about this is comfortable Nothing about it's easy. It's not necessarily safe, but, but still, those are our best times. That's when we feel the most alive. And, and there's a reason for this. And, and so you've heard that a call to missions is a call to what? Preparation. I agree with that 100%. I'm going to add to it something tonight. A call to missions is a call to separation. And we're going to see this out of, out of Numbers chapter 6. So go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Numbers chapter 6. And we're going to see these, this weird group of people called the Nazarites. Okay? Not to be confused with Nazarenes. Those are people from Nazareth. These are Nazarites. That word Nazar means separate. These are people who have chosen to separate unto God for a purpose called the Nazarites. And, and here's what we see, we're going to see in, in Numbers chapter 6 is that the, the, the call of the Nazarite, the vows that they make, is a call to consecration. Now that word consecration we don't use a lot. But, but the word is, is to be officially set apart. Sometimes we'll say in terms of, of, of a dedication, like we're going to they dedicated Aaron and the priests. They consecrated them. So there was like this official thing that happened. That, that word, if you were going to look at it and do a word study comparing Scripture to Scripture, you'd see that word is also translated uncut hair. Okay? Or crown. Those are all, those are all ways that that same word is, is used. And if you think about it, if the queen comes up here and she's got a big old crown, that would kind of set her apart, right? Someone walks on the stage and they've got a big old crown. You're like, what? Like, should I bow or something? Like, like what is it? What? They're, they're set apart. There's this signification of a position or, or something like that. 
But, but let's go ahead and look at this. We'll look at this consecration. We'll look at these Nazarites. And starting in, in Numbers chapter 6, verses 1 and 2, this is what we, we read. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel and say unto them, When either man or woman shall separate themselves to vow a vow of a Nazarite, What's that mean? Well, it just means this, to separate themselves unto the Lord, colon. Okay, I know there's a colon. I just want to pause real quick. Hey, if you want to separate yourselves unto the Lord, people of God, yeah, you can do that. Wow, that's so cool. God's just telling Moses, tell the people if they want to separate themselves unto me. Okay, we're going to, there's a vow. Okay, if they want to vow the vow, to, to be someone who separates themselves unto me, they can do that, man or woman. Praise the Lord. How cool is that? That we can separate ourselves unto God. That, that there, There's a pattern and a picture here for us. Okay, but already we're going to see in verses 3 through 8, yes, you can do that, you, but there's some terms to it. What are the terms of our separation? Do I have to climb a mountain? Do I have to keep all the commandments? Is this going to be really hard? Like, what's it going to take for us to separate? What's it going to take for the Nazarite to separate themselves unto the Lord? Look at verse 3. He shall separate himself from wine and strong drink, and shall drink no vinegar of wine or vinegar of strong drink. He shall... Neither shall he drink any liquor of grapes, that's, that's grape juice, nor eat moist grapes or dried. All the days of his separation shall he eat nothing that is made of the vine tree, from the kernels even to the husk. Okay, so the, the terms of the vow, okay, we're, we're going to see that separate, separation requires separation. That, that sounds profound. <laughs> but listen, it is. I mean, it's not profound, but you have to consider that to separate unto something, you have to separate from something. Otherwise, it's not separation. In the missions world, we would talk about syncretism. Okay, what is that? That's where you synthesize two different credos, two different belief systems or, or cultures. Okay, look at the next slide here. here. Here's what we see if we don't separate, okay? Go to the next slide for me. All right, you see that? That's a temple in India, okay? I don't know how clearly you can see that, but you've got the statue of Mary there. And then you have the statue of Jesus right next to the, the snake on the wall, who's also crawling across the ceilings there, and then you have Shiva, and then you've got some other gods and goddesses, and you can go through that temple and you can worship Jesus and Mary and Shiva and whoever else they have portrayed up there. Now, does anyone have a problem with this sort of worship? Yeah, we all do. Why? Because although someone may say, I'm separating unto Jesus, if you're not actually separating from other things, then you're not really separating unto Jesus. And so separation for us, listen, it's important. 
A call to missions is a call to separation. But what is it that we need to separate from? That's what we're going to see today. We saw that there's a separation from wine. From, from, in fact, it's not just the wine, right? It's the grapes. It's the vinegar. It's whatever alcohol they would get from that. It's grape juice. In fact, don't even eat the raisins. No raisin bran for you. You can't eat anything made out of the husk. It's like the gluten people, right? Well, does it have wheat? Well, no. Was it made in a factory that once processed wheat? And it's like you can't even, like you can't even eat anything made out of the husk. Of, in case you were wanting to eat grape husks or chopped up grape vines, you can't do that. Okay, listen, don't, 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 don't miss the picture. It's not trying to set some legalistic standard. Well, why can't I have vinegar? Well, okay, don't miss the picture. It's, it's, you don't want anything to do with anything that has to do with that source. Okay, so whatever might come from that source is off limits to me. Okay, I, I don't want anything that has to do with the vine. It's not about whether or not, you, you know, someone drinks a glass of wine or not. It's actually completely distancing from what the world would offer. And wine in your Bible is a picture of the good life. Okay? Uh, uh, Psalm 104, verse 14 and 15. Psalm 104 is talking about God and he created this world and, and there's blessings and provision that come from it. Verse 14, he says, He causeth the grass to grow for cattle, the herb for the service of man that he might bring forth food out of the earth. Listen to this, verse 15, and wine that maketh glad the heart of men. Song of Solomon, chapter 1, verse 2, let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, for thy love is better than wine. The, the love of the king is better than wine, better than what the world offers you. And if you study through Song of Songs, you'll see that theme in there. The dinner party. Let's have a dinner party and we'll have a nice glass of wine with friends and, and, and we can be all sophisticated and, 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 and connoisseurs of good... And, yeah, I, I don't know, I'm not a wine guy. But it's kind of like the good life, the sophisticated life, and it pictures the best that the world has to offer. Okay, so for the Nazarite, they couldn't drink any wine. They had to be separate from that. The second... Part, the second term of the Nazarite vow we see in verse 6. I'm sorry, verse 5. And all the days of the vow of his separation, there shall no razor come upon his head. Oh, <laughs> you can't cut your hair. Okay, until the days be fulfilled, in the which he separateth himself unto the Lord, he shall be holy, and let the locks of his head grow. So you're not going to drink wine or anything that has to do with grapes or raisins or any of that. And also, listen, if you're going to separate yourself and make a vow unto the Lord, maybe you have some special thing you want to do for the Lord. Maybe you want to go on a missions trip. Maybe you want to give. Maybe you want to fast. Maybe you want to provide some service. God says, yes, yes, yes. Listen, I love that. Come on, draw close to me. Let's do that thing. No wine, no raisins. And then also, you need to let your hair grow. Isn't that a little strange? I mean, not if you're on our praise team. That would be real natural. But, but I mean, for most of us, just to, like for God to say, you can't cut your hair. Okay, 
for me, you know, when you get a little older, your eyebrows start to get, you've seen the guys who don't cut their eyebrows? That would be me. It would not take very long for me to separate myself to the Lord before you would start to look at me funny. You'd say, are, are you doing okay? Are, do we need to pray? Do we need to talk about something? Because I, I get it that, that, you know, we're not all about appearances. We know no man after the flesh. But at some point, it gets to be unreasonable. Here, so... so just at some point, you look at that and you just say, that's not really reasonable. I'm not saying you have to have your hair cut at the ears or at the collar, but isn't there a point at which if I never shaved my beard and my eyebrows and my, those ear hairs, you just wait till you get older, okay, you get ear hairs that grow out, and then what few hairs I had were just, just waist length <laughs> and I look like Gollum and, and, and you know you might say something and I'd be like yeah I know Troy I, I know but I've separated myself unto the Lord so I know it looks funny but you can think what you want I'm not going to cut my hair because it's unreasonable. Because, listen, this hair represents something. Look, look back at this passage. Look at verse seven, uh, verse 6 and 7. And all the days that he separateth himself unto the Lord, this is the third part of the, the, the third term of the vow, he shall come at no dead body. He shall not make himself unclean, that is to be defiled by going near an unbody. That's part of the law. He shall not make himself unclean for his father or his mother or his brother or for his sister when they die because the consecration of God is upon his head. That hair that, that, that the Nazarite isn't going to cut is a picture of the consecration which is, listen, without limits. It is to grow unfettered untouched, uncut. There is no limit, which I'm going to say, you know what, God? I, I know I said that, but I'm, I'm going to limit my consecration. Now listen, the, the sign of my dreadlocks, whatever, it's a sign of my consecration to the Lord, and I'm not going to cut it short because it looks funny. Okay, so... The uncut hair is the sign of consecration. It's the sign of power and authority like a crown. We already looked at that. The last part of this is, is that the, the, the Nazarite couldn't go, couldn't go toward even or be around a dead body. So they had to avoid defilement that came from approaching the dead. That's part of the law. And, and all these three things, you may say, you know what, that sounds familiar to me. These things sound like the rules of the high priest when they're serving. The high priest couldn't drink the wine and, and, and couldn't cut their hair, could, couldn't trim their beards. They, they couldn't go near a dead body. And that's exactly right. These, these three terms of the vow are, are very similar to what the high priest did during their times of service to the Lord. And so... You know, the, you would be calling your mom and the conversation would go like this. Yeah, 
can't believe it. Dad's gone. But no, I'm not going to his funeral. No, I'm not going to cut my hair and come to the funeral because I've separated myself under the Lord. Boy, how, how would you like to have that conversation? Those were the terms that God gave the Nazarite. Hey, you want to separate yourself unto me? Yeah, come on, let's do it. The rest of this chapter, in Numbers chapter 6, what we see in verses 9 through 12, just, just get eyeballs on that. Verses 9 through 12, as you look over that, what that is, that's how to begin afresh after a failure to maintain separation. So you didn't know it, but the guy next to you had a heart arrhythmia and just fell over dead that fast. And guess what? You're defiled. It's like, oh! Whoa, so maybe you had a 100-day vow. On day 99, the guy next to you collapses and dies. Guess what? You defiled yourself. I know you didn't do anything wrong, but you're defiled by the law. So what do you do in that situation? Well, what you do in that situation is you have to wait a week to separate yourself because you are near a dead body. That's part of the law. At the end of that week, you go in and you shave your hair, which has been growing for 99 days. You take your sacrificial animals to the priest, and the priest will make atonement. The sacrifices will be made, and you start over at day one. Those other 99 days were lost because of your defilement. Praise the Lord, though, you get a chance to start over again. Okay, now the rest of the chapter, verses 13 through 21, this is the conclusion of the vow because the Nazarite vow had a beginning, okay? And then you, you did your vow for a certain number of days. It may be 30 to 100 days is what the Jewish, you know, tradition says, but it, it could be longer, but, it, but there was a beginning, and then there was an end. And at the end of the vow, you'd bring your sacrificial lambs and your ram, and you would bring them to the priest, and then the priest would make the necessary sacrifices. Part of that would be a peace offering, where they take that ram. And the ram, part of that's offered on the altar. Part of it is given to the priest as his portion, and then part of it, you, you have a meal with your family, you have a barbecue. Welcome to Kansas City. It's barbecue. It's like, it's like that. You're going to get together, and then as part of that ceremony, you get your head shaved. And all that hair that you had been growing, okay, gets thrown in the altar under the peace offering. Now that's separate from your barbecue, Okay. That was done over there. And then, and, then you, and then guess what? You can drink wine again. Now you can go back and do the things that you would normally do. And that's chapter, that's Numbers chapter 6. There's a blessing at the end of it. But that's the rules of the Nazarite. And what we see in there is that you can separate yourself unto God. But there are terms that come with that. See, separation unto God requires separating from something. Okay, so that's the... I think we get that. Don't drink wine, don't cut your hair, don't defile yourself for the family. Be like a priest at the beginning, throughout this episode, until the end of it. And you can separate yourself unto God. But that's not all that we know about in the Bible regarding Nazarites. There are four perpetual Nazarites. These are not Nazarites who decided, you know what? 
I think I want to think I want to do a vow, okay? I think I want to do a missions trip. I think I want to write a book, and I'm, I'm going to separate myself out and just really draw near to God. No, no, th- th- there's four people in Scripture, and it wasn't even their idea to be a Nazarite. Before they were born, it was already decided that they were going to be Nazarites. They already had a calling before they were even born. It was God's idea. It wasn't their idea. And I want to take a super quick look at these perpetual Nazarites who were not separated because they felt like it, because they wanted to. They were separated at birth because that was God's plan. And the first of these, and we'll go as quick as we can here because I think you already know most of these stories. The first one is Samson. So, so, you know, turn in your Bibles with me to, to Judges chapter 13. And we know about Samson. Samson's story starts with a barren woman. It includes drama and disappointment as Samson is betrayed by those he foolishly trusts to love him. He shouldn't have done that. In the end... He gets victory, but it's a tragic story. And, but, but I'd like to look here in, in, in chapter 13 of Judges. Okay, and what we see in verses 1 through 5, the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord delivered them into the hand of the Philistine for 40 years. And there was a certain man of Zorah, of the family of the Danites, and his name was Manoah, and his wife was barren. Oh my goodness, here's this barren wife. She can't have kids, but the angel of the Lord shows up. There's a supernatural process. There's a promise of God. And in verse 4, we see that, that the angel says, Beware, I pray thee, and drink not wine nor strong drink or eat any unclean thing. For lo... Thou shalt conceive and bear a son, and no razor shall come on his head, for the child shall be a Nazarite unto God from the womb, and he shall begin to deliver Israel out of the hand of the Philistines. Whoa, Samson, you know, it wasn't like he was born, he grew up, had his life, and then decided he wants to take a little time and and separate himself unto the Lord. This was a work of God. You guys see that? Look at, look, at, uh, look at chapter 15, verse 20. Talking about Samson, and he judged Israel in the days of the Philistines 20 years. He did that thing. He was the judge. He did the thing that God called him to. He knew he was called to do this. Look at chapter 16, verse 16. We, we're fast-forwarding to Samson and Delilah, and she just won't quit nagging him, right? She's got this vested interest to betray her hu- uh, husband, were they, were they, uh, significant other, maybe, okay. And it came to pass when she pressed him daily with her words, verse 16, and urged him so that his soul was vexed unto death, that he, said, that he told her all his heart. And he said unto her, There hath not come a razor upon my head, for I have been a Nazarite unto God from my mother's womb. He knew what he was called to. 
He knew when he was a kid that he was called to a purpose because, I mean, just imagine the conversations. Uh, hey, Dad, you know, some of the kids are going with the fade, you know, and, and the Philistine women really seem to dig it. You know, what do you think? Can I go down to the barber shop? And, 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 and what was the answer? Uh-uh. Not for you. There's a lot of barber shops, son. But you have a calling on your life. See, even from the time you were born, you were called to deliver God's people from the enemy. So, son, I know you, you see these other kids and you think it's cool. But for you, the calling of God on your life is more important than what your hair looks like. Just trust God. Samson knew he had a calling. He knew he was a Nazarite. And he knew that if he would cut his hair to limit what he was willing to, to compromise, that he would become weak like any other man. And that's exactly what happened. He got victory in the end. It, it was tragic. Our next perpetual Nazarite who was separated unto God according to God's will and plan from birth is Samuel. Turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 1. Samuel's story starts with a barren woman. It includes a lifetime of judging Israel and ultimately with those that he served and led and preached to his entire life, they ended up rejecting him. God said, look, hey, it's okay. Go ahead and listen to them. They're not really rejecting you. They're rejecting me. 1 Samuel 8, chapter 7. But we read about 1 Samuel, and the story starts with Hannah. In verse 2, we see that there's two wives, Hannah and Peninnah, but Hannah had no children. Why not? Look at verse 5. But unto Hannah, Elkanah gave a worthy portion, for he loved her, but the Lord had shut up her womb. So she couldn't have kids. She was barren. And so in fast forward to verse 11, most of you know this story. She's praying to the Lord. And you know what she does? She vows a vow. Can she do that? If any of you want to draw near to me to separate unto me, if, if you want to vow a vow, yeah, she can do that. Look at, look at the vow. Verse 11, she vowed a vow and said, Lo, Lord of hosts, if thou wilt indeed look upon the affliction of thine handmaid and remember me, and not forget thine handmaid, but, but will give unto thine handmaid a man-child. Then I will give him unto the Lord all the days of his life, and there shall no razor come upon his head. Why can't the razor come upon his head? Because he's a Nazarite. That, that's what she's saying. That's the vow. That's the deal. And you know what? God, God's like, yeah, okay. Your son who you're going to dedicate to the Lord, who's going to be separate unto me. Okay, okay, look, look at, at verses 24 through 28. What you're going to see in this passage is that Hannah, she, she has this son, she nurses her baby, she doesn't take the annual trip, she stays home with him because at the end of that time when he's weaned and little older in that culture than, than in ours typically, okay? She takes her little boy by the hand. 
takes him to the temple and leaves him there. I'll come back periodically. But listen, son, from the time before you were even conceived, there was a promise, there was a vow that you were going to be used of the Lord. There's a calling on your life. And you know what happened with Samuel? He grew up and he ministered to the Lord. And God blessed that. And God used him mightily. And when God needed somebody to speak to who was going to be faithful, he, he spoke to Samuel. You guys know the story and how God used Samuel mightily. And Samuel spent all his time at church. And his mom said, yeah, that's what you were born for. Our next perpetual Nazarite is John the Baptist. Turn to Luke chapter 1. John the Baptist's story starts with a barren woman and includes a life of desert separation and power. Look with me in Luke chapter 1. There was in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, verse 5, a certain priest named Zechariah of the course of Abia, and his wife was of the daughters of Aaron. Her name was Elizabeth, and they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and the ordinance of the Lord, and they had no child because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both now well stricken in years. Isn't that a nice way to say that? Oh, I see you are well stricken in years. Yeah. In verse 11, an angel appears and describes a supernatural birth. In verse 15, this is what we read. For he shall be great in the sight of the Lord and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. He shall be filled with the Holy Ghost even from his mother's womb. Why? Because he's going to be a Nazarite. He's going to be separated unto the Lord. Look at verse 80. Okay, verse 80 of chapter 1. You know where this kid grew up? Out in the desert. He grew, the spirit was upon him. He's got his long hair. He's not eating raisins, he's out eating bugs, <laughs> dressed in animal skins, growing up in the desert. Uh, Elizabeth, what, have you seen your son lately? Because we were out you know, in the RV in the desert, and, and we saw this kid running around. Is, is, that, is that your son? Yeah, yeah, that's John. He, he's a little different. You know why? Because God's got a calling on his life. Yeah, I know, he's kind of a weirdo. He's a weirdo for Jesus. Got that long hair, those funny clothes. Just out in the country all the time. His story starts with a barren woman and includes a life of desert separation and power. John gets beheaded in the end. That's the only way they could cut his hair. Cut his head off. You know, the Lord's testimony of John is glowing. Okay, so listen. Beginning with a barren woman, these lives all include a calling, lots of drama, 
victories, failures, discouragements, betrayals, rejection, martyrdom, but all of these ended up in God's hall of fame. Worth it. It's worth it. Here's what we read in Hebrews 11, verse 32. Let's go to the next slide. And what shall, and what shall I more say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and of, there he is, Samson and of Jephthah and of David. There he is, and Samuel and of the prophets. It goes on if you read that. These prophets, they ran around in the deserts. They lived in caves. They wore animal skins. Go to the next verse for me. Talking about John the Baptist, Jesus' own testimony. For I say unto you, among those that are born of of women, there is not a greater prophet than John the Baptist. And listen, I know they were weirdos, and I know their hair was funny, and I know they didn't act right, and they wouldn't have fit in at your little wine party. But listen, in God's eyes, they're heroes. They separated from all that. It's not because they're legalists. It's because they were separated unto God and they knew that God had a calling on their life before they were even born. Oh my goodness. Okay, but this brings us then to our fourth Nazarite from birth. Look at the rest of that verse. But he that is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. Let me ask you a question. Do you ever feel like you're the least in the kingdom of God? I do. Can you find yourself in this verse? Oh my goodness, what a statement. what's, What's that even about? Well, let's look at this picture. Let's look at this pattern and let's consider our fourth Nazarite perpetually, the Nazarite from birth, and that is the New Testament believer. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 11... We, we, we read that the things that happened to them, and, and then it, there's a whole list of things from Exodus and from Numbers, the things that happened unto the nation of Israel. They're written for our, what? And samples. Hey, listen, look at them and, and be admonished. Look at them and receive instruction. This is an allegory. You're supposed to see yourself in this, is what this verse is telling us. So as we look back and we look at the Nazarite, let's see what we can see about ourselves. We've already seen the Lord's testimony is that greater in the king, is the least in the kingdom of God than John the Baptist, who was the greatest of all prophets born of women. What a statement. Okay, well, let's look at it. Number one, the New Testament believer's story starts with a barren woman. What? Okay, look at Galatians chapter 4. I don't know how you missed this this whole time. Galatians chapter 4, verse 27. For it is written, Rejoice, thou barren, that bearest not. Okay, that, that's, a, that's referencing Isaiah chapter 54, verse 1. Rejoice, thou barren, that bearest not. Break forth and cry, thou that travailest not. For the desolate hath many more children 
than she which has a husband. The barren woman gave birth. Oh my goodness, it's a supernatural event. Barren women can't give birth. Well, Sarah gave birth to Isaac when she was barren. Hannah gave birth. Manoah's wife gave birth. Elizabeth gave birth. All these supernatural births. What's the allegory? What are we supposed to see here? Okay, look at verse 24 of Galatians 4. Which things are an allegory? For there are two covenants, the one from Mount Sinai. Okay, now listen, we don't, we don't have time to, to get into all this, but Abraham and Hagar okay, had Ishmael. That was their plan to try to make something happen. And God said, no, 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 no. The child of promise is Isaac. It has to be of the promises. And what Galatians chapter 4 says is your birth... New Testament believer in Christ, your birth, which is according to the promises of God, which is a spiritual birth, is like Isaac being born of Sarah when she was barren, not like Abraham and Hagar trying to make something happen. It's an allegory. You were born supernaturally, spiritually, to a woman who had no kids, to, to that's us as the church. You are born spiritually, supernaturally, and we are born, number two, listen, at birth, the New Testament believer is separated unto God, separated from this world. In John chapter 17, in John chapter 17, Jesus is praying. You know what he says? Talking about his followers and those that would believe on him. You know what he said about us? They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Listen, you know this. Reckon yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God. The old you, behold, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away, and all things are become new. Henceforth we know no man after the flesh. Listen, we are born again and we are born separated unto God, separated from the world. If ye then be risen with Christ. Well, are you? If you are, then seek those things which are above, for ye are dead. The old man. Put him off. He's dead. We are separated. And guess what? Guess what? If you read through the book of Ephesians, especially those first three chapters, you know what you're going to see? You're saved for a purpose. Jesus has already conquered sin and death. He's conquered the grave. He defeated the foe. The, the battle's already won. Why are we still here? What's the whole point? Why are we here? Because the Lord is not slack concerning his promises, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, word, not willing that any should perish. We are here during this time of great harvest, during the church age, to accomplish a purpose, and it is the church through which God works. It is the church that God will show his grace through. We are the body of Christ doing the work of the Christ, and that is why you are on the planet. You are separated and you are called. 
The New Testament believer is a perpetually separated individual in our Bibles. Okay, so what are the terms of the... Con- Number three, I, I don't have time to get into this, but you know, the New Testament believer has a high priest and we get to live like our high priest. Jesus, when his mom asked him to turn water into wine at the wedding, he said, woman, what have I to do with thee? My time is not yet. It's not my time yet to, to drink wine at a wedding. With great desire, I have desired to have this meal with you, Jesus told his disciples, but yet I'm not going to drink of this cup. I'm not going to drink of the fruit of the vine till, till the kingdom of God comes. He's on the cross. They're holding up the sponge with the wine and the vinegar. He's like, nope, not yet. The Spirit was not given by measure unto Christ. The Spirit, His crown, His submission to God was without limits. Thy will, but nine, mine, not my will, but thine be done, our high priest said. The Spirit was not given to Him by measure. He wasn't limited. He didn't cut short God's power in His life by cutting short His submission. And we know, according to Hebrews chapter 7, our high priest was undefiled. He, he came and he brought life to the dead, but he didn't be defiled by the dead. Our high priest, he fulfilled all the requirements, and we get to be like our high priest to some extent. So here it is. Here's the terms of the separation for the New Testament believer. First of all, wine. And here's the question. Will you say no to the good life? In this world, wine pictures the best that this world has to offer. The well-to-do, the sophisticated, the, the merriment under the sun. It, it would be nice to just have you over and we'll have a dinner party and wouldn't that be fun? Yeah, that's fine. As long as that's not what I'm living for. The idea of this perfect life keeps so many of God's people from separating from the world and separating unto God because they can't let go of that place in the world that they think will bring them satisfaction. And see, you think the devil's like fighting you with a pitchfork and really he's just offered you a salad fork and that's all it's taken to keep you from following hard after God. Okay, so, you know, how many believers choose the idea of a nice bottle of wine with friends over dinner, over the calling of God on their lives? Consecration says, satisfaction from this source, from what the world offers, is not an option. It's not about drinking wine or not drinking wine. It's will I find satisfaction from the world or am I willing to separate from that because if I'm not willing to separate from finding my satisfaction in the world I'm not going to be able to separate unto God that's not separation that's syncretism where you're mixing your will with God's will and coming up with some bizarre hybrid okay next hair here's the question we can jump forward to this one will you say no to culturally reasonable Socially sensible and comfortably safe limitations to separate yourself unto God. How many people cut short the power of God in their lives by cutting short their submission through fear of man or through reasonable 
expectations. Consecration says, I will not cut short the work of God in my life through conforming to what my culture expects or what my culture accepts. See, Romans 12, 1 and 2, you guys know those verses. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your your reasonable service. Although that's not what most Americans think of when you talk about a reasonable service. What most of us think about when you say reasonable service is, well, listen, you know, it needs to have really good worship. And it needs to have a sparkly children's ministry. And I need to come in and get fed spiritually every week. But listen, I'm not doing a Sunday night service. That's not reasonable. Tuesday night prayer, are you kidding me? That's not reasonable. I want a reasonable service. And then so people go church shopping till they find something reasonable. You know what your reasonable service is? Is to lay down your life. A living sacrifice unto God. And guess what? When you do that, when you let go of what's culturally reasonable and you just say, God, I'm presenting myself to you a sacrifice. Guess what? Man, that's when you're most alive. It's not safe. The next time you open your Bible, the next time you close your eyes, God may say, I want you to go. But oh my goodness, you'll never be more alive than when you separate yourself from the things that don't satisfy and separate yourself unto God. The last one, the dead. Will you say no to your natural affections in order to separate unto God? In Luke chapter 9, verse 59 through 60, we see Jesus. And here's what he says. Follow me. You know the story? The guy says what? Let me first, let me first, put me, let me first go bury, go go to the next verse for me there. Okay, I guess I don't have it on there. So, So Jesus says, you know, the guy says, let me go bury my father. And what was Jesus's reply? Oh, here it is. Jesus said unto him, let the dead bury their dead. That is such a hard saying. We want so much to honor our parents. Family ties are so important to us. Amen? Amen. Okay, listen. Honor your mother and father. Absolutely. Love on them. Have strong family ties. But your family ties can't be bondage. Your family ties can't tether you to this world and keep you from following wholeheartedly after the Lord because at that point it becomes an idol. And there may be someone here, and look, it may be hard, but, but you may need to be what your family needs you to be and not what they want you to be. Consecration says, Mom, Dad, Grandma, Grandpa, hey, listen, kids, Honey, we're going to Vietnam to make disciples. Amen. We're going to Pakistan to make disciples. Hey, listen, we're selling everything. We're moving to Boston. We're going to go make disciples because, you know, I'm part of the church. I'm a New Testament believer. 
And part of my super spiritual new birth included a calling that I know that God wants to use me. And listen, I know I sound like a weirdo to you and I know you think I'm going to the desert and I know it's not socially acceptable and I know you don't understand it, but I am separated unto God and I'm separated from all those things that would limit me from doing that. And I'm just being a living sacrifice. It's part of who I am in my birth. It's a supernatural thing. Okay, so here we go. I think, I think we're going to... We're going to have some praise and worship, right? So here's the altar call. The altar call is a call to separation. Separate unto God. And, and let me tell you this. You don't need to ask if you are called. It's part of your birth. Before we were even born again, the New Testament Christian had been given a job to make disciples, and that includes going. So your spiritual birth, God has already called you to be the ones through whom he's going to work in the world. So the question isn't, am I called? The question is, will I separate from the world? Will I give up my dinner fork? Will I give up my sweet haircut and my dignified place in society? Will I give up being a people pleaser and being manipulated by my family? And will I just simply let go of my dream of the perfect life in this world? And, and so, so listen, that may be you. You may be someone who, who at one point you were consecrated, but you lost it. You know what? Remember that story in Numbers chapter 6? Yeah, so praise team, come on up. Numbers chapter 6 there was a thing you could do. You could just go to the priest and you could just shave your hair and you could just start again. Some of you need to start your consecration afresh. And then finally, you know, just let me close with this. The end of the vow was this ceremony where the priest would share in the meal with the, those who had separated themselves. And the Nazarites would what? They would shave their hair, their consecration, their crowns. And there was an altar and there was a fire and they would just cast that before the Lord. Listen, Jesus told his mom, my time has not yet come, but that time is coming. There is a marriage feast and we will cast our crowns. We, there will be a time where we sit down with our high priest and we get to share a meal together. Don't compromise your place or position at that meal for a place or position here which will never satisfy. We're going to go into praise and worship. And I would just say, if, if you need to pray, if you, if you need to talk to somebody and get this figured out, I would just say, come on down. Just come on down. We'll have people up here. We'll try to clear off some space and, and just have a, have a time for us to, to separate ourselves from the Lord and, you know, I'm not saying you shouldn't cut your hair anymore, but there's an allegory there. You need to stop limiting the spirit of God's work in your life by limiting your submission to him through, through these things. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you for your word. God, I thank you for this group, and I thank you, Lord, that you put a calling on our lives, which is the greatest calling in the history of the world to be 
called like Samson, to be called like Samuel, to be called like John the Baptist. God, we, we don't deserve that, but that, God, we see that you've done that and we want to say yes to that. God, here we are. You know, all we have to do is say no to the world and say yes to you, but, but God, I, you know, we're kind of tied and we're kind of tethered. So Father, would you work on our lives now by your spirit, Lord, so that we will not waste our lives through things that don't satisfy. But God, we see in your word, there's a pattern there. God, there's a reason for that. And it's because, Lord, we, we, we are of this world. We have to break free from that. So I just pray, God, that you'd help us to do that tonight. I pray that, God, you would help people to see their calling tonight. God, please continue to work. And Lord, we want desperately for Christ to be magnified. So Lord, would you inhabit the praises of your people now as we come before you together in Jesus' name, amen.